Welcome to the Dry Bones Ministries podcast, where we strive to provide great preaching and teaching so that listeners will discover or rediscover the goodness, truth, and beauty of our Catholic faith. If you are interested in supporting the work we are doing, visit us at drybonespgh.org or follow us on social media at drybonespgh. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you're inspired, uplifted, and encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Dry Bones Ministries special podcast series on C.S. Lewis's The Four Loves. My name is Father Adam Potter, and I'm grateful to be your host through this beautiful book. Beautiful book. We've already gone through the introduction, our first chapter on liking, likings and loves for the subhuman. And today we start on the first chapter referring to one of these four loves. The first one is storge or affection. And um, this chapter was so good and challenging and uncomfortable all at the same time. And so if you got a chance to read it, I hope uh, you enjoyed it and disliked it all the just as much as I did. Um, yeah, let's d- dive in and hopefully cover as much as we can looking first at the good things of storge and then some of the perversions that come out in the need love aspect of it and the gift love aspect of it as well so what is affection he says that it's the humblest and most widely diffused of loves it differs least with the animals that he says isn't a bad thing Um, sometimes we think just being sharing something with animals or other creatures is is negative and that's not true in it in itself we shouldn't see ourselves in competition with the rest of creation uh, but just appreciate the some of the overlaps uh, storge is um, affection especially of parents to offspring but he also adds for also from offspring to parents it's that natural relationship that comes through this time spent, but also this reciprocal um, giving and needing of love. He says there's something of a, of a paradox there in terms of affection. It's a need love, but it also needs to give. And then it's also a gift love, but it needs to be needed. And uh, more on that later when we get to the some of the perversions. But yeah, it kind of has both. The need love, but the gift as well. He says that it shows the least discrimination. I thought this was really interesting. That, um, yeah, we, we're much more discriminatory in terms of who our friends are, who our love interests are. But whenever it comes to affection, it can be anyone or anything. And sometimes it's the person that you would least expect to like that allows for an attachment to form. What are some of the criterion of affection? Uh, They are objects that he says have to be familiar. Old is commonly used in reference to these people or objects. It's humble. It does not boast of it to others. Hey, I've got a really amazing affection for my desk or my room or my parent. It's it's humble. Um, it is also recognized 
when it is absent, when the thing isn't there anymore, we're much more attuned to that love that we have for it, this storge. And maybe that would be outrageous for a romantic love. How do you not appreciate me? Like it takes me being gone for you to recognize how much you love me. Like that would kind of be a a common and normal reaction, but not so with affection. There's something that's, uh, what do I want to say? Like not, yeah, not in competition or not uh, possessive in terms of, yeah, being absent from that person or thing only then to realize the attachment that's been formed. But that's kind of the nature of storge. It's, it's subtle, humble, as he keeps saying. There's a great quote that he, he uses to describe affection. He says, affection almost slinks or seeps through our lives. It lives with humble undress, private things, soft slippers, old clothes, old jokes, the thump of a sleepy dog's tail on the kitchen floor, the sound of a sewing machine, a gollywog left on the lawn. I had to look up gollywog. I did it for all of you. It's this, um, uh, I guess, ragdoll type of character. It's a child's toy that has like uh, crazy hair and an odd outfit. If you want to look up a Google image of it. But tell me if any of those things kind of ring true. What are some of the things that we can identify with affection? Those old clothes, old jokes. Um, I have a, a friend who, who told me that there was just something about the like sound of a, an iron that just gave him so much peace and comfort because his mom would be ironing all the time in like the living room and that would just bring him right back. Um, I have some odd affections myself. There's just something about a, like, gym floor, just the smell, even, like, the dirty, sweaty gym floor. I'm like, mm, yes, I'm, I'm home. I remember walking in on a cold night into a, a church and, like, smelling the incense there in the church, and I was just, like, brought back with all this love and affection for... Yeah, being a child and, and coming into church, and it, but it, like especially around Christmas time with a little bit more incense and things like that. And yeah, there's something too about like my grandparents' house and even just kind of the smell or the perfume. <laughs> even if I, I'm kind of repulsed by it, also it's like I think I think of them. So I don't know what it is for you. Kind of a neat thing to think about and identify. C.S. Lewis says that affection does not exist on its own in terms of like a love. It, it's not like my, my love for you is solely in the affection. It usually overlaps with um, the other loves as well. Think about a friend that becomes an old friend, a romantic love that gives way to appreciation. He says appreciative love dies. Appreciative love lies, as it were, curled up asleep in the mere ease and ordinariness of the relationship, free as solitude, yet neither is alone, wraps us around. No need to talk, no need to make love, no needs at all, except perhaps to stir the fire. Beautiful, huh? 
just thinking about couples who have been together for a really, really long time and can say that. And it's not that they're not romantically uh, in love anymore, but that that can give way just to like really appreciating the other person and not needing to perform or do anything else other than just be. And that can, in a sense, show a, like a, a deeper love than even the romantic love. I don't know. Does that ring true? What do you all think of that? I appreciate it. Um, a little bit further on, he says, the especial glory of affection is that it can unite those who most emphatically, even comically, are not. People who, if they had not found themselves put down by fate in the same household or community, would have had nothing to do with each other. So, yeah, something to, to kind of think about how affection can unite different people. He says, even comically. Um, that we choose our friends and our romances. We choose them based on our own preferences in terms of the beauty, the character, and the personality um, that we appreciate. But notice, those are beauty, characters, personalities that are our own preferences. Affection does not discriminate, needing it to be a, like only this beauty or only this personality. But he says, we come to say something like, no, there's something in him, there's something in her, something that we appreciate truly about the person in themselves. How beautiful is this, right? That, that so often, even with friendships and romances, we'll get more into this later on, it can be very self-serving or self-affirming to surround ourselves with people that think the same way as us, act the same way, um, believe the same things. And, and that's not necessarily bad, but it is dangerous. Affection can open us up. It really like broadens our, our horizon. Um, yeah, one example I was thinking about, I, I had a, a friend that, that grew in, in seminary that definitely was one of those individuals that I would not have chosen or pursued. And, and even there was just something so quirky about him as most seminarians and priests are in, in ourselves. And, um, but yeah, he had his own particularities that that caused, I don't know, I think just looking around at the way others reacted to him, yeah, caused a lot of people just to kind of like get tired. And anyway, we just based on our class schedule and universities and things ended up spending a lot of time together on the bus, on our walks, in our classes. And I don't know where I just came to really start to see his goodness. He just was so good and pure in his thinking and his love for the Lord and his desire for holiness. And, and then I found myself whenever others were kind of getting annoyed at him, that I found my heart going out to him of like, no, this is just how he thinks. And this is how he loves and how he expresses himself. And, um, yeah, that I, I came to, to really love him in this storge, like just, um, yeah, to have this affection for him because of this exposed time and kind of broadening my own capacity, my own heart to be able to, to see him and appreciate who he is. So have you ever had something like that? Maybe it's a, maybe it's a person, maybe it's an individual, 
maybe it's a home or like, have you ever had to move somewhere that you really don't want to move to and just thought, this is not the place where I'd want to set up my life. And yet here I am. Um, and to be able to like, I don't know, have it kind of sneak up on you before you know it. <laughs> 10 years later, you're like, huh, I really like this place. It's grown on me. That's, that's the thing. That's the, the kind of idea that like comically you would never have chosen it. And yet here it is surprising, sneaking up on you and you finding yourself saying, I can't imagine being anywhere else. So he says, affection broadens our horizons. Quote, in my experience, it is affection that creates this taste, teaching us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at, then to enjoy, and finally to appreciate. I'd, I'd love to just break that open for a whole other podcast because that seems like a really neat um setup of how we can come to really grow our hearts and being able to yeah just not discriminate against things people have this open mind that we would learn how to first notice just who is there where i am um, what's going on then to endure right these are choices that I'm choose to endure this place, this person, this circumstance. And then I'm going to smile like that. That's huge, right? Like it's not just enduring, like putting up with the, the thing, the person, but now I'm actually choosing to like engage with, with a joy, with an openness. And finally, oh, to smile at, then to enjoy. So I think that follows. I choose to smile in that after this endurance, this enduring time, I can now come to enjoy it because I've chosen to notice, endure, smile. Now I'm free to enjoy. And finally, I can appreciate it because there's this relationship now of my own endurance and, and joy. So, yeah, some, something maybe to, to kind of think about in our own engagement with different things that perhaps really set us off or that we didn't choose or that we're even repulsed by, frustrated by, to kind of think about this, about how affection can broaden our, broaden our horizon and even teach us virtue, open our eyes to goodness that we could not have seen or should not have appreciated without it. He actually says, so does humble sanctity. Yeah, that's right. So does humble sanctity, like opening up our eyes to goodness that we hadn't seen before, but choosing, choosing it. So this is a path of holiness. And this is what I love about C.S. Lewis. He's bringing us on a path of love, which is holiness. I don't know how you and I think of holiness. I picture it in our minds. And is it just reduced to like, piety or is it just reduced to prayer or is it just reduced to not sinning right like sanctity is love and learning how to love well and all of these different aspects even affection all right those are some of the positives of this beautiful love are you ready to go into the dangers of storge 
He says, nearly all the characteristics of storge are ambivalent. They may work for ill as well as for good. By itself, left simply to follow its own bent, it can darken or degrade human life. Oh, okay. He says one of the one of the ways I'll just kind of run through. I think I highlighted. Well, <laughs> I tried to highlight them all. He kind of goes on and makes a lot of different references to English literature that maybe was uh, helpful or really confusing. But the first way he says uh, can lead us to this darkening or degrading of human life is if we see affection as just being too ready-made. You just let it pour over us like a warm shower and all will be well. He says that's not affection. And that is so highlighted by his last description of how affection really needs this virtue to notice, endure, smile, then to enjoy, and finally appreciate. If we just think that affection is this really, really strong feeling towards an old friend, an old house, or an old whatever, then, yeah, we're going to be really disappointed and and led astray. Now he goes into the perversions of affection as need love, and then later he'll go into the perversions of affection as gift love. So this affection is need love. He'll talk about it's our craving for the affection of others. And the example is of a very unlovable old man from King Lear, who's depicted as having a ravenous appetite for affection. I've looked it up. Um, It looks like King Lear, I'm just going to quote what I found. King Lear dramatizes the story of an aged king of ancient Britain whose plan to divide his kingdom among his three daughters ends tragically. When he tests each by asking how much she loves him, the older daughters, Goneril and Regan, flatter him. The youngest, Cordelia, does not, and Lear disowns and banishes her. She marries the king of France. Goneril and Regan turn on Lear, leaving him to wander madly in a furious storm. So that's just a a little glimpse of it, but maybe helpful because he references King Lear multiple times. Um, But yeah, does that kind of help to to get a a quick glimpse of this? Like we all, he says, we all know that we must do something, if not to merit, at least to attract erotic love or friendship. But affection is often assumed to be provided, ready-made, by nature, almost as if it's built in, laid on, or on the house. We have a right to expect it. If the others do not give it, they are unnatural. So here's where like a King Lear could be a good example of this, that he like demands that his daughters will love him and have this affection for him. And he turns on the the one that refuses him and the other two hold it as a resentment against him. So it's like, that's it. And so here's where we can see it very much in like a desperate parent that smothers their children. Um, in the end, he's, he says that these great lines. If you would be loved, be lovable. Right? That, these, that this affection, like other loves, 
It can't just be seized, grasped, or demanded. That, and this isn't even if you are following so far. Affection isn't about having perfect qualities or personalities or characteristics or virtues or intellects. I mean, this is about being authentic, good, open to others seeing me for who I am. I don't even need to be, yeah, I don't need to be perfect. I just need to be real and humble. And if I don't do that, then, um, then yeah, how can I demand this? And that's a good point to like, there's the nature of love. Love cannot be demanded. It has to be free. Um, there's another line kind of attached to that. He said, he, I don't know what he's quoting, just like proverbial wisdom. If you want to attract the girls, you must be attractive. I was thinking about that because there's uh, very much like an expectation in our world today of, yeah, just like romantic love on demand. And so, yeah, so many people just expect, expect to have it and are then angry whenever they don't have the meaningful relationship and then kind of like hold this resentment against the rest of the world or everyone else for not loving them. And then it takes a lot of humility to say, maybe I'm the one, <laughs> I'm the one who needs to get my life together and start, yeah, holding myself in a way that would attract others. Okay, what are some other perversions of this affection as need love? He talks about disregard for public courtesy and formality, confusing public versus private affections, or even intimate and formal courtesy. I won't spend too much time with that. That's not, I, I didn't, that didn't resonate too much with, with me, but, um, but yeah, certainly there are instances of that. I found more interesting this insight into jealousy. It comes from misguided affection through need love. Imagine two individuals who share so much in common, and while the one takes off and leaves the other behind to be jealous. He says, quote, For affection is the most instinctive, in that sense the most animal of the loves. Its jealousy is proportionately fierce. It snarls and bares its teeth like a dog whose food has been snatched away. And why would it not? Something or someone has snatched away from the child. I am picturing his lifelong food, his second self. His world is in ruins. So do you see how the, the perversion comes in, right? It's this need love. We, like, we have to be together. We have to stay. We have to be at the same level. We have to appreciate all the same things. And so again, there's, n there's like this grasping control and no freedom for the other one to break off and to run its own course. I thought this was an interesting wrinkle in that. Perhaps it's with the conversion to Christianity. The former friends or family feel abandoned to this faith that they'll claim is all nonsense. And I don't know if you've experienced that at all, um, either yourself or have seen someone else. I am very involved with yeah, obviously the church and people coming into the faith. And it's so often that the conversion comes at a great cost and family and friends who not only disagree, but there's like this clinging, this mockery, this thinking that you're like throwing all of this away. But, but meanwhile, it's really out of this insecurity of, of not wanting the other, 
um, person to ha to have their own life and their own views and needing to hold on to that relationship. Um, and then it can also be like pinpointed on like a parental relationship to children. This one paragraph was so good. Um, let me find it. It's on my page 48. It starts with the quote, Boy, boy, these wild courses of yours will break your mother's heart. That eminently Victorian appeal may often have been true. Affection was bitterly wounded when one member of the family fell from the homely ethos into something worse. Gambling, drink, keeping an opera girl. I don't know. <laughs> Must be, um, yes, a very licentious young woman, an opera girl. Unfortunately, it's almost equally possible to break your mother's heart by rising above the homely at ethos. The conservative tenacity of affection works both ways. It can be a domestic counterpart to that nationally suicidal type of education which keeps back the promising child because the idlers and dunces might be hurt if it were undemocratically moved into a higher class than themselves. So these, these relationships, you know, are so strong in affection in the way that it can be, you know, sneak in, then can be used to manipulate too and not actually value the, the true good of the other person. So how dangerous, how dangerous. So those are all the perversions of affections as need love. And then he moves on to these perversions of affection as gift love. He'll kind of summarize this as the need to be needed. The need to be needed. Are you ready? Oh, this poor Mrs. Fidget. I, I'm not sure if she's a real person or just his imagination. If it's his imagination, this is hilariously and kind of sickeningly so good. Um, this Mrs. Fidget who did everything for her family, but she didn't have to. <laughs> she insisted. And she was, quote, living for her family. So he goes on for two pages just, just to give this fascinating portrayal of an over-involved parent who does not have a healthy separation from her children or family, and it ends up being suffocating. Every single time they come over, she has to make them this um, big hot lunch or this big hot dinner. Or if, if their children go away, she insists on staying up all night. And it's like, why? Just... Because she, she wants to. She really needs to, to look out and to, to care for them uh, in terms of, like, doing their laundry. She'll st stay up all day doing the laundry of, of their kids when they just as easily could have done it themselves or sent it out to be laundered, right? But it's like she's then putting herself in this place where she's needing to be needed. And it just destroys the relationship there with uh, her whole family. Um, it seems selfless. This is kind of the danger, right? That the, the parent in this case, and he says that there's something a little more natural in a maternal sense here. Um, it seems selfless, but in reality is completely selfish and desperate almost. Um, he'll say, um, in this one quote on page 50, 
my page 50, it says, it's easy to see how liability to the state is, so to speak, congenital in the maternal instinct. This, as we saw, is a gift love, but one that needs to give, therefore needs to be needed. But the proper aim of giving is to put the recipient in a state where he no longer needs our gift. We feed children in order that they may soon be able to feed themselves. We teach them in order that they may soon not need our teaching. Thus, a heavy task is laid upon this gift love. It must work towards its own abdication. We must aim at making ourselves superfluous. The hour when we can say, they need me no longer, should be our reward. Oh, and isn't that the sign of true love? This abdication of ourselves or what's in it for ourselves. And you can see how tempting this is in a, a maternal or a paternal relationship wanting to feel really, really essential. And in that, it just, it, it gets bent in on oneself and not really able to see the joy of them being able to do it for themselves. He'll conclude this um, example by saying, the ravenous need to be needed will gratify itself either by keeping its objects needy or by inventing them Inventing for them imaginary needs. You get it? And this, I don't know. I don't know where this hits for you. Um, I, I've done this with others and it's uh, hit really close to home, either for themselves or in relationship to their own parents. And just something something for us not to be afraid to look into our own hearts. Uh, I, either way, in the need love or the gift love aspect of affection, um, because as he says in the end, lest we would want to say that these perversions are just for the neurotic among us, affection on its own will go bad on all of us. When? When affection is on its own, right? What does affection need? It needs more than just itself. It needs grace. It needs self-mastery. It needs the virtues. It needs the support of others to reflect back and it needs our own humility to recognize when we need to let go or, um, so, so that's, that's kind of the idea, right? Other examples back for this need love or sorry, the gift love is a pro is a patron for a protege. He says a devoted teacher that became the object of hero worship. Um, and yet not really celebrating whenever the students go on to think for themselves, but needing to kind of put themselves in, in their needing, needing them to need them. Uh, this is, this was so good. I'll, I'll end on, on this. He talks about the pampering of an animal. And before C.S. Lewis and I offend too many people, I want you to know, I love animals. I do but I can see how they can be perverted. And so does C.S. Lewis. And he wrote this almost 70 years ago. He said, <laughs> oh, sorry. Maybe my the, the amount of joy that I'm getting over this needs to be looked at itself. Here's what he says. If you need to be needed, and if your family very properly declined to need you, a pet is the obvious substitute. 
You can keep it all its life in need of you. Whew, shots fired. And then he says, those who say, the more I see of men, the better I like dogs. Those who find in animals a relief from the demands of human companionship will be well advised to examine their real reasons. Oh, sorry. (laughs) This is just, it's prophetic. It's prophetic because, gosh, I hear this all the time and I'm sure you do too. And, And maybe you've even expressed it in your own arts too. Why? Human companionship is hard. It's like, it's not easy. And in our world that's been so decoupled through technology, relationships became, become even more and more difficult. And so you and I who are fallen, you know, in this sinful humanity, it's easy to look for the quick fix, like the quick companion. And dogs are great. They're man's best friend. Why do we call them that? Because they're not actually going to be critical of us. They're not actually going to ma- going to... Um, demand like a true authentic expression of ourselves. They might, might demand that we get up and take them outside or feed them, but we're kind of okay with that because that's the bare minimum. Like if all if I have to do is make sure you go outside and have food to eat, like, yeah, I can handle that. But we're not only made to handle the, like the physical needs of other creatures, but the spiritual too. And that takes real vulnerability and commitment, perseverance. Um, can I go back up and, yeah, read that that part that C.S. Lewis says? Affection, it's affection that creates this taste, teaching us first to notice, then to endure, then to smile at, then to enjoy, and finally to appreciate. This is what affection is meant to do, and that is not easy. And... And that animals would go a really long way to substitute that in the, the, the distortion of our own need to be needed. But not, but not by human companionship. So anyway, C.S. Lewis has his way and he is good. He is prophetic, insightful. Um, and I think in all of this, especially looking at the perversions, this isn't meant to condemn us. But this is meant to challenge challenge us and to allow us to see the full beauty of what what the love of affection is really meant to call us to. An ability to open up our hearts and to appreciate the real goodness in the things around us. And and to see the way that we can find joy. uh, Truly, in a detached way, we can find joy wherever we are. Whenever we're able to see the goodness that God has given all of creation. May we never despair or or become discouraged, but always with great hope and confidence submit ourselves to God's most perfect will, which is love and mercy itself. God bless you all. God love you. Let's keep each other in prayer. And I look forward to being with you next time where we look more deeply at the love of friendship. Thank you for joining us for this episode. To learn more about Drybones Ministries, events, and initiatives, and to support this podcast, go to drybonespgh.org. Thanks, and God bless you.